Hello and welcome to this NLive's Open for Business podcast platform. My name is Adrian Price, the guy from the university, as I keep saying, with the perfect face for radio. And I host a show every Tuesday from 7 to 9 p.m. called Open for Business. Open for Business celebrates the very best of business in Northampton and Northamptonshire and brings together business, civic, charity and indeed academic leaders to talk about the business environment, to talk about initiatives and projects, especially where, they're, where they are all working together for the good of the community. So enjoy these extended interviews on this podcast. They're now set up as a standalone for you to savour and uh, to learn from some of the movers and shakers in the county. Enjoy. So this show is always trying to look for the best in Northamptonshire. And we've always said we have so much to be proud of, so much to shout about. This is a great county to grow up in, to live in, to work in, etc. Many, many fine features, which perhaps over the years, possibly um, in terms of uh, public relations, maybe the image that's been portrayed, you know, there have been some challenges too. And today I'm delighted to welcome to the show uh, Teresa Grant, Teresa Grant, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Northamptonshire County Council. Yes, the very council that you probably remember being in the press for um, less than positive reasons over the years. So, Teresa, welcome to the show. Um, you came in at a difficult time for the for the County Council. Um, you know, what was your mandate and uh, how's it going? Good morning, Adrian, and thank you for inviting me to the show. Um, yes, I arrived at the end of July 2018, at which point the council had declared itself bankrupt twice. And um, that hadn't happened, um, I think, in this century, certainly in local government. Uh, so it was quite, uh, quite a, a, a difficult time. My remit was to um, turn the finances of the council around. Um, balance the books in preparation for um, unitarization, which at that point was well advanced in discussions with government uh, and MPs in the county, with the view to setting up uh, two new uh, unitary councils and abolishing the eight existing county council, district and borough councils within the county. So that was my initial remit. And as, as everything, <laughs> it changed as we progressed. So um, I balanced the books in the first year. Um, I balanced the books for the previous year. Um, then I balanced the books for the next year. Uh, so I was then asked to lead on the programme for delivering the two unitaries. So I became the chief exec plus the strategic delivery director for Future North Hans. And I will maintain both of those roles until vesting day, which will be the 31st, 1st of April, 2021. 1st of April, 2021. So um, we had the elections, didn't we, postponed for the new, for the councillors for the new unitaries. So will there be elections before that date then? No, there will be no elections. So because of the postponement of the elections, the government in its structural change order, which was the piece of law it laid down, to set up the two unitaries, um, made the existing councillors across the eight councils members of the statutory authorities. So they automatically became members of the statutory authorities. They also named the two shadow leaders, uh, who is councillor Ian McCord in the west, councillor Russell Roberts in the north, um, and they set up their shadow cabinets. Now they will be in place until May, 2021 when the elections will take place and then the actual um, 
members will take over and we will have a leader and a, a cabinet and all other cabinets fall away, all other polit political allegiances to existing districts, boroughs and counties will fall away. Okay, um, do you agree that the two unitary authorities was right? Should we not have had one? I mean, that's a debate that's going on very now, very much around the country. Um, I'm sure you know there's a white paper on its way, which has been delayed. However, government has announced three um, councils that will, three counties that will go to unitary. Um, and they're looking at mixed models. So there's many others as well that are looking to, are actually seeking to go. And they're looking at a single unitary. Um, for, for example, Surrey wants a single unitary. Um, they, they could go to three in some areas and two. It could be population based or it could be um, demographically based. So I don't think any one size fits all. Um, I think the size of our two units, unitaries, which would be the fourth and fifth largest in the country, is quite substantial. I think once you get much bigger than that, it actually is not as good for democracy because it becomes further away from the member of the public. Mm -hmm. And I think that's about the right size to have the right number of elected members representing the right number of people. Once you get much bigger, you then get further away, I think, from from the local, from the people on the ground, which is, you know, which is what local politics is about. You need to be close to your residents. No, indeed. So when we start then next May, um, you know, clean sheet of paper, <clears throat> all the issues in the past, which we'll, oh, excuse me, <coughs> which we'll talk about in a, in a second, maybe. Um, will we have enough budget for the two? You know, are, are you confident that they'll have the, the right mandate, the right budget and the right strategic uh, vision, if you will? Um, so... We always we committed as a county council to give the two unitaries the best possible start in life, and uh, that was going really well <clears throat> until COVID hit. Um, and we will balance the books this year. In year, we're currently predicting about a three and a half million underspend, uh, despite COVID, and we have again some reserve for the second wave of COVID to deal with that. Um, we confident across the eight councils that we will balance in year, which is quite an achievement when you consider the rest of the country is now crying foul and saying they're all going to issue 114 notices, which is what we did declaring bankruptcy. So um, we're ironically probably one of the most stable councils financially in the country, uh, which is, you know, is not, <laughs> it's not where we expect it to be in one sense. Mm. However, because of COVID, um, some of the costs that will continue into next year are not currently funded. So government has given us one-off funding in year this year, as they have with every council across the country, to deal with COVID issues. That funding will not recur next year, and that will leave a gap for the two unitaries. So we are currently in discussion uh, with government to... Um, look at how we might make sure that these two unitaries start off um, that are financially viable and with the best possible start. And we have the support of all of our elected members and MPs uh, in, in trying to achieve that. Okay, well, I don't get too political, but I often thought for all the issues and um, that we had here created, self-created, was Northampton the canary in the mine in terms of 10 years of you know, austerity 10 years of cuts from central government, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah. Are we seeing the, you know, are we seeing this coming home to roost in some ways, as you say, COVID's made it worse probably, but you know, have we, are we paying the price for 10 years of austerity? I think that's a really, really good question, Adrian, and I'm really glad you asked that. Um, and I don't believe that. So I spent the previous 10 years as a chief executive of a unitary council, um, a, a, a metropolitan council, which um, balanced its books every year that I was chief exec with an underspend of about 3 million, right through austerity. Um, when I came to Northamptonshire and the gap in year that year was about 65 million pounds, which was you know, very daunting for many of the staff there. But when you look at the size of budget, um, I looked at it and thought none of the transformational uh, things that could have been done were done, which was good for me because I was able to do that. So through transformation, we balanced the books without cutting services. Now you couldn't have done that if austerity had really been applied for the previous 10 years. So I've managed now to balance the books for three years consecutively without use of reserves. And actually there were zero reserves anyway when I arrived and we now have about 50 million in reserves and we haven't actually cut any services. So had austerity been applied for the previous 10 years that I could not have achieved that. Mm. Okay, well, that's a very interesting, upbeat message. So looking forwards then, um, obviously there's an impact on the county councillors. There's an impact on, on your staff. So are they, you know, are they being well looked after in terms of the transition? Will it basically be the same people, uh, you know, or to what extent is there fresh blood coming into the new uh, unitary uh, context? Yeah, um, so because we will split into North and West, obviously our staff need to split into North and West. Um, we are trying our best that for day one. So we have a, a phrase day one. Um, people won't be disrupted and services won't be disrupted. So residents won't have a disruption in services that you know the continuation will happen. And hopefully within a short period of time, they'll actually see an improvement in services. So um, at the moment, we're appointing to the statutory officers and they've all now been appointed. And that's a requirement of government of the structural change order that they must be in place. We've appointed the chief executive for the West, who is Anna Earnshaw, who's currently my deputy and our, our director of adult social care. And we've appointed Rob Bridge <coughs> for the North, who's coming in from uh, external uh, area. They've appointed with the elected members, um, all of the statutory appointments are member appointments. Um, they're treasurers, they're heads of legal, they're um, directors of children's services, which is a single director of children's services across both councils, um, and also their director of adults. They're now going to appoint to the rest of their um, top tier, if you like, of officers, and that may be internally or externally. From that level down, it will be internal staff um, who will have first choice of those jobs that will be in the new structures. Um, and beyond the second, third tier, there won't be any change before day one. People will remain in their same jobs with different line management and employed by a different council. Okay, so very good uh, succession planning then. Well, let's change tack a little bit because, you know, you, you, you're going along doing all this and probably having to cope with, do you remember Brexit? Um, <laughs> and, and then COVID hit. So just yeah. tell us a little bit what your year's been like. You know, whilst Unitary is moving forward, the impact yeah. of COVID and, and, and where, where Brexit is. I mean, let's do COVID first. 
Okay, well, you know, you could, I, I say this, it's the council that keeps giving. I think it's the county that keeps giving, actually. Um, you couldn't write the book, you know, coming from the starting point that we had, which was very challenging. Um, on our journey, doing a really good, you know, positive direction of travel, then to have COVID hit. It was quite a challenge for us. So we had to stop doing work on Unitary. We had to stop doing work on our Children's Trust. And we had to focus all of our efforts on COVID. And we had to um, obviously move the majority of our staff to working from home. We had to make sure that they had technology uh, where people had special requirements. We even managed to get them their chair that they needed uh, where they wanted a PC instead of a laptop because they were going to be sitting for long periods of time. We managed to deliver those to their houses and set up a whole system to make sure nobody fell through the net and everybody was um, talked to, connected with on a daily and weekly basis. Um, and at that point in time, I was doing a daily communication to staff. So we had to set all of that up. That was our internal setting up. But actually, what was far more important was setting up our external uh, systems. And that was really about wrapping care around vulnerable people, making sure nobody was left without food, without medicine, without company. And we set up a cell, we call them cells, and that was a, a community cell that was actually a call centre that anybody could ring in if they needed help. We worked with um, the various charities and third sector, and I'd have to give the Red Cross a mention, they were absolutely fantastic. And we got food parcels delivered to people. You know, I'm talking about thousands and thousands of people, not hundreds, but thousands of people who needed that help and needed it quickly. And we mobilized our staff to do that. And we got, oh, the number of volunteers we had come forward from all communities you could never have anticipated. So it meant that we had volunteers out there in the community that we were connected with to deliver food, to go and see people, to even bring a newspaper to people who were desperate to connect. So that all had to be put in place. Um, alongside that then as well, we had to empty the hospitals because of course we needed all the hospital beds. So we worked hand in glove with the health, with the acute sector in the health economy and with our CCG to um, move people quickly, efficiently, and to clear those beds for people who absolutely needed um, to respirators. And of course, then as a consequence of that as well, we had to build a mortuary um, and do it in double quick time. And, uh, and that we did as well. So um, it was an interesting challenge and not one we anticipated in the middle of all the others that we were, were dealing with. No, I can imagine. So a great uh, community response and the, you know, the public charity and probably private sector to agree working closely together then. Indeed. So Bre Brexit, um, where's that on your list, list of priorities <laughs> at the moment? And uh, you know, what, what, is, what can the council do to help local businesses face the uncertainty that still exists around Brexit? Yeah, and you know, Brexit was higher on our agenda before COVID hit, as you can imagine, as it was everybody's. And you know, we had a weekly meeting. We had a we had a our own um, team who were looking at the risks around Brexit, etc. And interestingly, that's now back on the agenda, and rightly so, uh, alongside COVID, Unitary, and Children's Trust, um, with an, with an equal focus. So we're very conscious where we're heading to. Um, we're very conscious that businesses are very concerned about what it means for them. 
um, about their ability to export. And I know and I've had contact from other agencies outside of the UK actually, looking for businesses in the UK that they can partner with because they're worried they won't get to export into the UK. So it's not just us looking outward, mm. it's also external looking inward. Uh, businesses in outside of the UK are just as worried because the UK is a huge market for them. So there's a great opportunity for businesses here to partner with some of those businesses to give them that ability where there is synergies, it's easier to um, be able to import export with ease across uh, counties and borders. Um, and that makes perfect sense. But we will as a local authority and we, we you know, we get a, an update from government and we will make sure that we share um, any kind of information, any guidance, any anything we can do from a, a central level uh, to support businesses to do that. And I would expect the two new unitaries will have that high on their agenda because, of course, they will be at the forefront once um, once we're out of Brexit with a deal or with no deal um, of um, driving whatever we do in the county from a West and a North perspective. Mm. And I guess you'll work closely then with my other guest today, Hilary Chipping from SEMLEP, uh, as well as the ARC. I mean, all these different levels, though, they can be a bit confusing. And I think I'm reasonably informed. You know, where's the where's the energy and where's the budget? Or does everybody have their part to play in, in the uh, regional economic development? And I think the answer is working together. And you said, you know, how do we work together? So we have representation on the SEMLEP board. We have political representation as well as officer representation. Um, within SEMLEP and they represent Northamptonshire. Uh, we are involved in the ARC and the ARC discussions. And of course the ARC will uh, impact probably mostly on the West because it, it, it crawls into, if you like, um, South North Hans and across that area. Mm. And of course the ARC is expecting to have great development along its route, um, not, not least East West Rail and what that will bring for us. So it will bring prosperity, but we have to be at the table to take advantage of that prosperity. And we have to know what we want. And that's something that we're looking at in terms of a strategic infrastructure plan, which I kicked off when I got here two years ago, um, to make sure that we actually know what we want to get from that, that we're not just taking what we're given, but actually we have a strategic plan and we know what it is that we want and how to benefit for that from our county. We also work closely with England Economic Heartland, who are supporting us on developing our strategic infrastructure plan as well. So there's many bodies out there, but we are very much integrated with them. We, we try and achieve as much as we can for our county from all of those, and as well as that funding. And we've been very lucky this year with SEMLEP, we've managed to attract several pots of funds um, for um, Corby, Kettering, Northampton. Um, so we do take advantage of that as well. Okay, very good. Um, you and I have talked in the past about uh, China. So these new markets then, is China still on your radar or you know, are things cooled because the general perception now is that China is perhaps not to be trusted? Although you know, I'm seeing some positive things coming out of um, the press as well. I think the FT had a very positive, you know, you, mm -hmm. you've got to engage with China. Where is China on your sort of radar in terms of possibilities? I think the fact that China are really interested in um, befriending the country, I think the politics at a national level is one thing, but when you deal with um, industrialist representatives at a local level, as you well know, because you do that all of the time and you represent our, our county very well in that, 
and they're very different people than you see at a national level and you can work with them and they tend to be very very genuine and lovely people mm. and you know they're very interested in doing business here so i see no reason why we wouldn't be interested in doing in doing business with them um, and, you know, I talk to, as I am a, a, an Irish person, there's um, Irish companies who contact me saying they want to do business in this country. Can I link them up with, with uh, UK companies? And I have done that. And I see no reason why we shouldn't be doing the same with China um, and giving them the opportunity. There may be a deal done nationally, which would help with that mm. um, and, and help to open some doors and help with funding, perhaps to entice them. Uh, and I would hope that we'll see more of that with China, with the US, with Canada, and, and even with New Zealand and Australia as well. And I think there's um, advanced talks there. Excellent. OK, so let's change the subject then. And uh, you referred earlier on to children's services. Now, many people might think that this is just you know, a shambles, a catalogue of disaster. I mean, what on earth's going on? I think we're not the only county that's had some issues. You think of Rotherham and other, other jurisdictions as well. So, you know, what's the what's the problem here and what's been done to to put it right? Because these youngsters do not seem to be well served. Um, yes, and I, I would have agreed with that. When I arrived in Northamptonshire, I was quite shocked to see the level of service within children's services um, and disappointed because actually I was there to focus on a financial turnaround. And actually, I moved my attention rapidly to children's services, which was much more worrying for me, in all honesty, than um, balancing the books. Um, having come from an, an authority with, you know, um, one of the best Ofsted inspections, two of them, in fact, in my tenure in the country. So um, I knew what good looked like and I knew we weren't good. So um, we did set about changing and improving and we did make massive improvements within our children's services. Um, we were then given to commissioners at Christmas. I joke and say we got commissioners for Christmas in 2019. Um, and we set on a journey to create a children's trust. And that children's trust is due to go live on uh, Tuesday, Monday next week, the 2nd of November. And I say due because I'm, I don't want to jinx it by saying it will go live next Monday. I'm sure it will, but I'm saying it's due to go live. Um, and that will give the trust real stability clear leadership um, and give it some freedom from the county council. It will be a wholly owned company, wholly owned by the county council. Uh, and that will then become novated across to the two unitaries. So it will become wholly owned by the two unitaries from the 1st of April. However, it will have operational independence from the county council and hold its budget, etc., which the council will sign off every year. Okay. So we have appointed a permanent chief exec um, who is Colin from Bedfordshire, and he starts in November, and we are interviewing for a chair next week. So um, the stability is there, and the current acting chair is one of our commissioners, Claire Chamberlain, and she is really exceptional and is doing a fantastic job. And interestingly, we have just recently had an Ofsted uh, inspection, which finished last week, and I've only had verbal feedback, but we, they will publish. Um, it was a focused inspection, not a full inspection. And they were really complimentary of the green shoots of change and improvement that they have seen um, over the past year. And that was music to my ears, really, because of the amount of effort staff, management team there, 
and the social workers have put into that service to turn it around for children. I was so pleased to hear that they were so complimentary of the work that we've done. So we're going to get stable leadership because obviously in the last few months, the, you know, we sat there watching the news, all of a sudden somebody else has left from this whole area or people have mm -hmm. come short term. And are, you know, have processes really changed? And is there enough money going into this in terms of the social workers? Yeah, so we, we hadn't appointed to the permanent chief exec role. Um, so we only ever had interims in that, so they will come and go. Uh, we did appoint to the chair and the chair then left. So that was a permanent appointment that we have had to replace. So that was the only instability as such. But within that, we've had the same commissioners, um, uh, Andrew Christie and Claire Chamberlain, for the last year. We've also had the same management team now for some time and a stable, very talented management team who are actually the ones making the turnaround and making the changes and making the improvements. So we're in a very, very good position from a, a, a practitioner perspective. We also, you mentioned finances. It is one of the highest spend children's services in the country, but um, the funding for me is just in the wrong place. It should be at the forefront of it should be at the front end of children's making sure that we you know we invest in in early years and in young children before actually problems start and invest in families before problems start to develop so um we're, we will have to do that over a period of time and the trust will do that but you can't just take money out of the system so in the current year we invested an additional 20 million pounds into our children's services and that is recurring so it wasn't a one-off that's an additional 20 million every year from this year. We also um, invested a couple of million pounds in um, social worker structure to give it a, a better structure so social workers would stay with us and not leave. And across the board for all staff, we gave a 4% pay rise. And that was in recognition of the fact that all staff hadn't had a pay rise for five years, which I think was just disgraceful. So we tried to at least give them some compensation. Um, I'd like to have given them more, having looked at how much they'd fallen behind in salaries. Um, and they came out of national terms and conditions, which we're still not uh, aligned with and no um, increments either. So, you know, the staff have worked exceptionally hard across the council, not least in children's, um, without being rewarded. And I felt extremely bad about that because they continued to work so hard for me to turn the council around and didn't get any reward until this year when they got 4%. So is morale good in the county council amongst the employees at the moment then, or getting better? No, I think morale is definitely better. The culture is definitely different and changed. People are not demotivated anymore. And I can understand completely why they were demoralized. I was the fourth chief executive in eight months. Now I arrived and people were pretty demoralized and it's a different place, a completely different place in my view. Um, of course, staff are now concerned and worried because we're moving into unitary and it's human nature to be concerned about your future, which they are. And we will try and do our best to reassure them and bring them gently into, uh, uh, into the two new organisations as we transition across. Okay. Um, you're from out of county. You came in from, um, well, you're Irish. You came in from the Manchester uh, area. So, mm -hmm. you know, what a having spent some time here now um what's your view of the county and um you know its potential and its kind of key assets i guess yeah <clears throat> um having come from greater manchester who have the ability um to make 
um, the best of everything, I have to say, by working collaboratively together. And I was part of the team who um, delivered the combined authority. I was part of the team that delivered um, our um, deal around health and social care devolution. And I led on the skills and employment deal, devolution deal, because I led on skills and employment for all 10 councils for 3 million people for five years. So um, their answer to everything was do it together um, and you're strong as a whole. Northamptonshire hasn't quite got there completely in that philosophy, um, but the assets of Northamptonshire are much greater. And I mean by that, the, the county, the beautiful county that it is, it is, it's spellbinding in its beauty and people who are from here don't see that. It's only when you come in from the outside that you see the assets that it has in terms of its ability to attract tourism, if it worked as a single entity, um, to attract businesses, to attract talent. People are, and it's very convenient for London. It's fantastic because I can go to London in 45 minutes, but actually people are going out of the county to London. We should have London people coming into the county for work because it's such an attractive place to be. And I would love to see for the future if you were to ask me, how, how would I see the future unfold? I would love to see that future unfold in a way that takes advantage of that because that brings prosperity. It improves lives for our residents. It improves job opportunities, it, you know, aligned with skills. With it. We have a university in our county. We're very, very lucky to have that. Not every county does. And we have on our doorstep, you know, big household name companies, a university, really talented young people who are leaving the county because there isn't enough here for them and we have beautiful countryside and villages that you know look like they're straight out of a um a, a television series and and every time i drive around the county i just see more and more things that i think is so underutilized and and it's probably the best kept secret <laughs> yeah britain's best britain's best surprise right so i know that you're Indeed. um supporting that hopefully there'll be funding within the unitaries to be able to keep that going and as you say get an integrated you know visitor or travel and tourism sort of um function yeah. going um the, there is a lot going on this made in northamptonshire we're seeing with rachel mallows on the food and drink mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i think there's a lot going on well dominic gobel in terms of youth court services you know there are many many things here and i think that's one of my messages but <laughs> despite some of the challenges we actually have so much to shout about and i do think that uh, and i'm from out of county that the local population, um, I don't know, they don't always have the confidence or the aspiration or don't know what it is. But between us, we have to change that, don't we, really? I agree entirely. I agree. And, you know, I only ever knew Northamptonshire for shoes before I got here. And um, there's so much more to it. The shoes are fantastic, but there is so much more to the county. And if we shout about it, but we shout about it together, the voice will be louder and we will get what we need in terms of investment. You know, we will get the attention of government and we will attract to ourselves. I've, I've seen it in Greater Manchester. It took many years and it does work. It really does work. But so you must have aspiration and you must have ambition to do that. 
indeed. So uh, thank you for mentioning the university. That was very kind. Um, do you think, and, and obviously the public, private, academic and third sectors working together, which is you know, a great interest of mine, as I'm sure the sharp-eared listeners will, uh, will pick up on. Um, so your message about collaboration, I think it has to be the way forward. Um, do you think then, actually, in a curious way, that Northampton and Northamptonshire could benefit from COVID? Because if we're looking at a complete change to the way we work and working mm -hmm. from home, you know, maybe city, big city centres are struggling, but will that actually play in, a, in, in our favour? I would hope so. Um, it does worry me that the high streets are so heavily affected. Um, and as you know, we've um, done a master plan for Northampton Town Centre uh, through Northampton Forward. And we're hoping to achieve funding through the high streets funds, etc., to kickstart that whole um, regeneration. Um, but COVID will impact. And I think we will have to live differently and do things differently. But a lot of people, as you say, who've been in big cities who were locked down and didn't have space, didn't have breathing space, want to get out of the city now. And, you know, as I said earlier, we're very close to London and the suburbs of London we're even closer to. Um, we could attract a lot of people here not just, you know, you can work remotely now, you can still work in London and in the city of London, but you could live in the beautiful surroundings of Northamptonshire. And we need to get on that bus before the rest of the uh, counties wake up to that and start trying to attract people to their counties. Indeed. Well, Teresa, thank you so much. A very uh, frank, upbeat message. Um, financial health, you've turned the finances of the county round so very pleasing to hear that we're probably one of the strongest financial uh, counties at the moment um you uh, we hope that the children's trust gets off to a good start on monday or the sort of relaunch refresh whatever and that is acting a one unit one uh, children's trust across the two unitaries right that is a county function if i yes uh, so correctly. it's a single single children's trust operating across both the north and the west and we have a single director of children's services as well. And that was a very pragmatic decision made by the shadow leaders and the shadow executives that we would share a director of children's services. It's easier for one person to manage a contract uh, rather than two, less, less risk of confusion. And just one thing I would mention, Adrian, when I talk about cohesion and working together, um, when I arrived here, the eight councils weren't the best of friends with the county, the seven districts and boroughs. And the relationship that has built up across those eight councils has really made the difference for this county. That's why we're financially viable. That's why we're successful uh, in delivering to our residents in COVID because the eight councils worked as one. And that's why we will deliver two really good unitaries. And it is down to the eight councils working as one. And that's how it should be. Okay, so, it's great yeah. to see that happen. So collaboration is the name of the game. I mean, any final message for the, um, you know, not only the public sector, the, the civic authorities, what about the private sector, the academic sector, the charity sector, and of course the, um, the general public walking up and down the street. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? Uh, yeah, yes, I would say that um, there's a new era. So there's a fresh start come April next year. I would encourage people to engage with the two new unitaries, with the new chief execs, um, with the uh, leaders and with the, the executives 
um, because they will be looking outwards as well as setting up two organizations. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to start afresh. We will remove, because we're moving to Unitary, it removes the two-tier system. So it means that the two organizations will be much more joined up in their thinking, in their strategy, and also in their service delivery. So residents won't have complexity of who do I go to with a problem. Businesses shouldn't have to go to eight councils. They can go to just two. Um, and the same with, you know, other partner organizations, they will be much easier in that they will just have two chief execs to talk to instead of eight. So I'm hoping it will take a lot of complexity out of the system for, for businesses, for our partners, and streamline our finances, and hopefully become much more efficient. And we're hoping to deliver about 35 million savings in the first year. Uh, of unitary um, and also um, I think will mean that we can look outward more and do all of that collaboration I've talked about take advantage of the opportunities of the arc take advantages of semlep etc in a much more joined up way because actually it's only two and not eight fantastic so 2021 beckons and a, uh, a bright horizon there thank you ever so much to Teresa Grant the chief executive officer of Northamptonshire County Council Teresa keep up the great work uh, keep safe and thank you ever so much for coming on the show Thank you, Adrian. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview. There are plenty more here on the podcast platform. And of course, you can always listen on uh, live on Tuesday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. on NLive Radio 106.9 FM or digitally via nliveradio.com. Um, if you'd like to know more about the radio station, please do look at nliveradio.com. And um, we're always looking for support from the community and further afield. So if you'd like to support us, please go to nliveradio.com slash support us. So until next time, thank you very much again for listening.